Welcome. My name is Dr. Steph, and you've joined us for our podcast series, Courageous Capital Stewards. And today we are very fortunate to have with us somebody who's very important to me personally and professionally, and that's Rich Hoops. Rich, welcome to uh, the podcast. It's a, it's a true honor to be sitting here with you after the journey we've been on for the last decade. Yeah, thanks, Steph. I'm glad to be here. It's what's super fun, which people do not realize, even though we are recording this from different places, we actually are practically neighbors. And uh, I'm, I'm so very happy yes, that we if, are neighbors. If we talked louder, we could probably hear each other across. That's, the, a, that's across absolutely. The park. Yeah. That's absolutely the case. And, um, you know, really, uh, we're here today to really talk about your impact investing journey. And um, I'm so proud of you and happy for you and happy for the system. That year, uh, of your current position with Impact Charitable. So before we jump into your personal story with uh, how you became an impact investor, why don't you tell us a little bit more um, about what Impact Charitable is really quickly, and we'll, um, just so the listeners know and understand what the possibility is with Impact Charitable. Yeah, so Impact Charitable was formed in 2015, uh, and I was a founding board member, but it was, it was founded... Uh, Primarily, it's a 501c3 founded as a primarily as a donor advised fund pro, uh, provider in in kind of the traditional sense. What wasn't traditional at the time is that it was very much focused on impact investing. And so, if you think back to 2015, um, you know, ESG funds were just kind of coming around, et cetera. So we were differentiating ourselves by offering investment options uh, for the advised funds uh, in kind of areas and pro funds and, and, and investments and vehicles that aligned with their values while they kind of remain what I would say latent in their advised funds. And more importantly, we were focused on helping uh, people deploy those philanthropic funds uh, in ways outside of traditional grant making with an emphasis on impact investing. So helping people use philanthropic capital to make direct investments into uh, nonprofits, for-profit social enterprises, and impact-oriented funds. Um, in the last year, so I stepped off the board about a year and a half ago to take over day-to-day uh, -day management of the operations. And in that time, uh, we've begun to kind of reposition ourselves away from at least being perceived as a donor-advised fund provider, because that's to us, donor advice funds are the means, they're not the end. So we really see ourselves as an impact capital intermediary um, and service provider that can help funders and philanthropists move capital in unique ways for greater impact. Still very much focused on um, impact investing, but using our ability, our, our infrastructure to create funds, make direct investments, and we've developed some kind of unique custom programs. So we're really excited about the future. We think, uh, as we have for a long time, that that uh, using philanthropic capital, leveraging, you know, C3s and our capability to do diligence and underwriting of investments and do structures uh, and, and help with transactions can really get more, reduce the friction and get more impact capital moving, uh, which is the whole reason we exist. Absolutely. And even though we are going to spend most of our time talking about your personal journey, uh, why don't you say a little bit about uh, one of my favorite products out of Impact Charitable is the Left Behind Workers Fund. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, the Left Behind Workers Fund, it, it actually 
it, what it was the original idea in about January of 2019, we had a board member and then our executive director and uh, previous executive director and, and founder at Briscoe were talking about the potential for Impact Charitable to take on uh, piloting a direct cash transfer program. Uh, for those of you that know, direct cash transfers of money have been around for a long time, particularly in international development. And the, uh, the body of, of research around the efficacy of direct cash transfer is actually substantial. Uh, and it basically just says, if you give unconditional cash uh, to individuals, they, uh, particularly those living kind of in, in, in poverty, um, they tend to use it in ways that actually help them get themselves out of poverty. And so uh, there was a discussion about initially around um, targeting individuals as they uh, came out of uh, the justice system. Um, and giving them a leg up financially as they tried to find stability and employment and housing and all that sort of stuff. But within about two or three weeks, uh, the pandemic really kind of, you know, kind of came upon all of us in mid-March of, of, of 2020. Um, and the target beneficiary group immediately changed from individuals exiting the justice system to undocumented workers who were losing their jobs by the thousands, but had no access to federal benefits. And so uh, uh, very quickly, about $100,000 was raised from uh, kind of some personal networks and some small foundations. We, uh, we partnered with one community-based organization uh, in uh, Aurora, Colorado, which is uh, east of Denver. And the goal was to get $1,000 emergency cash grants into the hands of uh, 100 uh, undocumented families. That ended up having some impact. It it gained some visibility. One thing led to another. And the last couple of years have been quite amazing. But we were getting ready to sunset the Left Behind Workers Fund, which has gone through several iterations. But uh, we just passed $38 million in cash grants given to uh, over 25,000 uh, families across the state of Colorado, working through about 25 to 30 uh, community-based organizations across the state. So, um, yeah, it's been amazing. And, and uh, kind of more importantly, more exciting is that uh, the direct cash programs in general should be a means to an end. And we started the Left Behind Workers Fund with three goals in mind. First one was to uh, provide immediate benefit to families in need, um, use the, the, the benefit to learn more about uh, this population, their needs, some of and underlying issues. And then lastly, to use all of that to try to create systems change through legislation and policy. And, the Colorado legislature just wrapped up their uh, their session a week or so ago. It feels like it's been a long time ago. And in real, literally the, the remaining 48 hours, a bill was passed to create a permanent unemployment insurance fund for undocumented pay stub workers in the state of Colorado. Actually might be the first in the country of its kind. Um, and uh, that was the work of uh, a particular senator, Senator Hansen, who was championing the effort, along with uh, several large advocacy groups, Colorado's People's Alliance, uh, among one of them. But none of that would have been possible had it not been for the Left Behind Workers Fund, which really uh, kind of shone a light 
on a problem and an inequity that has existed for a long, long time and got the attention of policymakers. So we're super excited about that. And we really, and now we're, we've got two other direct cash programs uh, underway and we, we're going to try to run that same play and we're, you know, begin with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey says. And so the end is how can we use these direct cash programs to ultimately try to influence policy and get real global systems change. So it's been an exciting journey and uh, we're really proud of the work. Mm. It's uh, completely inspiring and uh, to no surprise, your story, uh, wants me to go in lots of directions from, um, I'm just going to say the directions I want to go. Part of me wants to talk about how thoughtfully you explained that program and the role, especially that white people have to do around anti-racist training and just the language we use and how thoughtfully um, you explained all of that and the work you were doing um, with deep integrity. And so that's an important line of inquiry. And I want to go back to your kind of the origin story for you about um, how, how you first came to be quote, an investor. And then was that connected or disconnected to impact investor? Because the third line of inquiry is I think you and I both present, um, we both share a a shared uh, value and love of our spirituality and faith, which I I generally feel isn't what we lead with. And most people might even be surprised um, with that uh, from both of us um, individually and collectively. So I'm I'm kind of interested, you you can talk about your historical journey with work and how you ended up where you did and how you're like, wait, um, I'm going to be a philanthropist, or I'm going to be an investor, I'm going to be an impact investor. But I'd love to hear about, you know, a lot of what we teach is the sh- mindset shift of I'm a donor, now I'm an investor, <laughs> impact yeah. investor and alignment. So you can go, you know, chronologically through your story, or if you just want to riff for a second about when was that moment you're like, wait, I'm an investor. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's been, um, you know, so you know, my corporate career, uh, I tell people I was more lucky than good. I was, I was pretty good, but however good I was, I was a lot luckier, um, in my corporate career, which provided me some financial resources. And, you know, uh, after my private sector career, which mostly was in corporate America. And then, uh, I, you know, I had an entrepreneurial stint. I started a small company in Boulder, uh, when we moved here in, in 2000, But after transitioning out of that, I hadn't really prior to that, I really hadn't spent much time thinking even about investing. I mean, I had certainly had, uh, uh, you know, reasonable amount of assets and, you know, was, you know, uh, modern portfolio theory and all that working with advisors to, uh, to kind of allocate those resources. But it it wasn't until I got out of my startup and I had gotten involved uh, with the nonprofit community in Boulder County through an, a great organization called Social Venture Partners, that was really my first window into kind of the the, the social sector, the third sector, whatever you want to call it, and and it was the first time that I started to become kind of a donor. Right, I always knew that we'd be in a position to start kind of giving back uh, financially, um, but it was Social Venture Partners was such a tremendous opportunity. Because at the point in time I was starting to become, you know, use a fancy term, philanthropist, I was also rolling up my sleeves, working alongside executive directors and boards of uh, 
you know, fairly small early stage nonprofits who uh, had great programs, but they were having trouble scaling and, and, and that sort of thing. And so I started to learn about, you know, nonprofits and grants and, you know, uh, donations and how all that sort of come, you know, kind of comes together. And it was also during that time where I had, as I tell people, I had kind of a little bit of a midlife crisis, which, you know, uh, where it was, you know, I was around 40 um, and, and had achieved a lot of what, you know, when you get out, when I got out of college and I thought success had looked like that I had achieved a lot of that. So that's, it was tremendous. It was awesome. Uh, also somewhat scary because you've got a lot of, you've got uh, a lot of, uh, uh, just as much life out the windshield as you do in the rearview mirror. And yet you, you don't know where you're going to go uh, with all of that. And, um, you know, you mentioned a little bit of spirituality and faith. I, I, you know, I developed kind of a, a faith for the first time uh, during that same season. And all of that kind of came together in a way that uh, just changed the way I thought about uh, my role in the world and the role of, you know, our money uh, in the world. And, uh, you know, the, the big light switch was much more of a, of a, of a perspective around responsibility uh, of using those resources to, to give back and to make a difference, uh, given how fortunate that we, we had been. And so, you know, my first so kind of after that kind of light bulb moment, uh, you know, really started to lean more into philanthropy, understanding that, um, giving more um, as we were, and then starting to plant the seeds around starting our own uh, private family foundation. Um, and so, you know, meeting with attorneys and you know, trying to think about what does this look like? What are we going to invest in? Kind of the typical stuff. Um, and I, st- I steered towards a private foundation versus like a donor advised fund or something like that. Cause I, I just knew I wanted to have flexibility to, to do things with our philanthropic uh, dollars. Um, and so decided to go that route. And it was while we were about the time we were working on the family foundation. Uh, and I do not remember how I came upon it, but I came upon the concept of impact investing um, and, you know, kind of just started to, I don't know if I read something, I read an article. I, I don't know if I got, you know, the, the PDF from the Rockefeller foundation or what it might have been, but, you know, the, to me, the light bulb, another light bulb went off, you know, and it just opened up a whole new world for me because like most people, right. I'd kind of grown up a capitalist and I had this idea of, um, uh, as as Ross Baird, my uh, my good friend, would say, like two pocket mentality that that I I make money and I invest money in one pocket, and then I take some of it and I put it in the other pocket, and that's the pocket I use to give money away. And you know, by this time, this is two thousand nine, probably something like that. And you know, I had done plenty of the one pocket, and I was starting to do more of the other pocket. But I had already seen, I'd already had enough experience, both. Uh, internationally, I'm quite involved in Africa, uh, and domestically in the nonprofit and philanthropic space to know the tremendous impact that philanthropic and traditional grant making has, but 
but also the the, the inherent inefficiencies in it. and also this realization that if if the two pocket mentality was was so good, why were we still facing these tremendous issues that have, that are just entrenched and decades long, and you know maybe even longer? And again, seeing them both in in an international development context as well as uh, kind of locally, and so and being you know a business guy, being an entrepreneur. I was like, I know that there are for-profit ventures out there. There are entrepreneurs out there that are working on different business models that have intentional impact. And so what I want to do is I want to use, I want to look at basically my, you know, kind of uh, our assets is one pocket, if you will. Right. And I want to find opportunities to deploy capital across that entire spectrum from kind of market-seeking returns to, uh, uh, as you eloquently say, negative 100% high-impact money. And, and I was really interested in all the shades of gray in between where everybody else sees black and white, right? And so um, we formed our family foundation and our first distribution from the foundation was an equity investment. It was a convertible note investment into a clean cooking stove company in Kenya. And so I, you know, the, the first, first check we wrote out of the foundation was a PRI. Um, and I've been doing it ever since. And I've continued to try to look for opportunities where both our, you know, our market seeking capital can have impact. Um, uh, but I'm more interested because it's just more fun in that kind of impact first uh, for profit uh, for return types of investing uh, into, uh, as we say, that charitable nonprofits, for profit ventures and funds. Um, so as I've become more and more active in, in investing, you know, I've, I've made a number, I won't say the number, uh, quite a few uh, direct investments through both our kind of family office and our foundation into early stage social ventures, um, a good number of them in uh, Africa, in East Africa, some of them locally, uh, and continue to look for opportunities to, yeah, to, to use, you know, our philanthropic capital and uh, kind of family office uh, market seeking capital to, uh, to have an impact. And as you know, we've partnered in, trying to get on the stump as much as we can to, to, to advocate, create awareness and, and interest and, and get more and more family offices, you know, private foundations, et cetera, to, to consider looking at the world this way, right. From a, from a two pocket mentality or a, or a siloed mentality around the role of philanthropy and philanthropic capital must be grants to there's all kinds of ways, guarantees, you know, investments, loans, all that sort of stuff that can have tremendous impact and, and even more leverage uh, in the system, both for the organizations and for you personally. Yeah, it's um, we are this close to getting uh, foundations to d- instead of giving a grant, a loan or a program related investment and let's even say a dirty endowment dollar divesting out of Wall Street combining that endowment dollar with a PRI dollar and a grant dollar for a holistic investment. I think, um, you know, there's the, the idea of, it, and then structurally like 
like watching people go, wait a minute, why are we separating out these buckets of capital? And that you can do it individually from a foundation or a corporate um, perspective. I um, really uh, value listening to your story. And um, I want to talk a little bit about um, Hub Boulder. And part of the reason I want to talk about Hub Boulder is your commitment to the backbone infrastructure, which Impact Charitable is a piece of that. Colorado Impact Days is a piece of that. I'm going to share something coming up. But, um, you know, I was just uh, invited by John Moore to go to Impact PHL for their total capital impact. And he said, you know, everyone talks about Philly and Denver as the two places, and it's really Philly, Denver, Boulder. And a big part of that is, is the work that you've helped support and lead and, and rolled up your sleeves with. And I think Impact Hub Boulder was a, a, a really important part of that journey. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that came to be? And Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's also, uh, that's also a really good story. So, you know, as I got into the impact investing world and, um, I started to get involved much more in mentoring and advising and, and in some cases funding uh, social entrepreneurs at relatively early stages. And again, this was both in Africa, but also locally. And, you know, having lived in Boulder and been around uh, the, the extremely robust kind of startup venture ecosystem that exists uh, uh, in Boulder, primarily around you know, anything tech related, clean tech, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and as I was meeting with social entrepreneurs or nonprofits who were, who were really working on some interesting revenue generating uh, ideas and programs, et cetera, um, it just dawned on me that, you know, uh, if, you're a, if you're kind of a classic tech entrepreneur, um, in Boulder, you had all of this resources, you had well-developed angel networks, you know, you knew who the venture capitalists were, the early stage funders were, uh, you knew the networks and the meetups to go to, and, and there was all these mentors and all this sort of stuff. But if you were a kind of a social entrepreneur, an impact first entrepreneur, or, you know, uh, heavens forbid, a, like a, a nonprofit who was working on a venture, there was no established ecosystem or support network. Uh, and so, uh, I I had come to know the 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 founders of I think it was the first impact hub in the United States which was uh, actually in Berkeley I think but it, let's go with San Francisco, um, and so I had reached out to them and I said you know I just woke up one day and said we need to bring an impact hub to Boulder and provide provide support networks connections capital to uh, these entrepreneurs and initiatives that are trying to make the world a better place and. Um, yeah, so it was that was a great journey. You know, it, it it was I was fortunate that while it was my idea, I quickly it didn't take me two or three coffee meetings with other folks I thought might be interested in rolling up their sleeves with me to get um, a really good team on board quickly. And yeah, we just started you know kind of building up a little bit of a business plan and, and raising some capital, and uh, we raised money. We launched and launched 12, 12, 12, so December 12th of 2012, and uh, had a good six-year run. You know, challenging business model. Co-working spaces have evolved a lot, um, and, uh, and and when your business model is based on 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 real estate, and you're in downtown Boulder, it presents a whole other level of challenges. But you know, I still today uh, get 
emails and stuff from individuals who, uh, you know, we, we changed the trajectory of their venture by having the impact hub. Uh, you know, it was an inspiring place. There were so many good companies that got started, collaborations that got formed inside the walls of that 10,000 foot uh, square foot um, space on, on Walnut and Broadway. So it, it was a lot of fun and it met some amazing, amazing people. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it, uh, to, to, I, I wish it was still going today, but you know, I, I think we all look back, even the investors look back and say, you know, that was, was a job well done, uh, well worth it. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, it was, and, and just a, a very important, like foundational piece of our ecosystem in Denver Boulder. And so thank you for that. And I'm not sure I've ever read these to you. Um, you and I would come to join forces. Um, uh, I, there'd been a 2015, a capital absorption workshop in, in Denver, Colorado, and the Kresge Foundation and Harvard came out and they, they did an assessment and they said, Locally, we didn't have investment-ready transactions, and that was my midlife crisis, of which I called you and 30, 37 other folks to like, hey, can we have a meeting? And 34 showed up, and you were one of those 34 that not only showed up with your time, your talent, and your treasure and, and guidance for that. And that would lead us for a three-and-a-half-year crazy journey where we're your impact, um, Hub Boulder, several of the, I mean, hundreds, there were hundreds and hundreds of events that we did over the course of three and a half years. And the very, I'm going to read you a couple of quotes people sent us after the first impact days. And this first one, given your corporate background is, is from Neeraj Agrawal. And, and he at the time was at the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. And this is, I'll read it. Um, as they wrote it, but this is not about me or this was about us. Like, you know, it was crazy to travel Colorado afterwards and people would be like, oh, Colorado Impact Days, as if we just popped up a conference and people magically showed up. But, but people had no clue how many organizations were um, in the trenches doing all of those capacity building events and technical assistance. So um, Niraj said, just a quick note to congratulate you on Co-Impact Days. You've started a movement here, and I was absolutely blown blown away by the quality of social ventures I saw. You certainly know what the impact investing scene needs, and I hope that what you've started in Colorado can quickly replicate in other states and beyond. And as far as I'm concerned, that core steering committee of 34, that's who this is written to. Um, another one is from a social venture, and this is um, Irene Aguilar. And what was interesting is this social venture almost got booted because it was high risk and complicated. And um, a friend of ours, Andrew Curry said, those are the types of investments I want to support. And that kept it in. And I, I think of that often that the, the buffet is really important because you and I live by a gorgeous farmer's market. And I'm sure every time you go and every time I go, I think I'm going to buy three things and I come back <laughs> with 10 things. So Irene said, dear Stephanie, I, uh, I want to thank you very, very much for your extraordinary contributions you're making to social, economic, and environmental justice via Co-Impact Days. I was blown away by your talk. As I learned about your passionate journey and determination, I felt like I was listening to my soul sister, being a Latina from Puerto Rico and discovering the connecting vessels with someone like you north of the border just makes me so excited about what it all means when we come together. It's just one big family gone a little astray and in need of family reunions. 
And then That's the last sweet. one, it's super sweet. The last one I'm going to uh, read to you is connected to kind of that double pocket thinking um, that came to us from, let me pull it up really quickly, was uh, Karen Brown. And, and what's great about Karen is she's an angel investor and she works a lot on boards and nonprofits and has led uh, foundations herself. And she said, thank you for organizing and hosting Colorado Impact Days event. I could see the silos I placed on my own donations and investments in. And my brain was working to, on opening the door of integration and collaboration between the investment and donation options. Sounds silly. The MBA or finance segment on my brain was talking to the donor segment of my brain saying, hey, let's have coffee and talk about this. <laughs> That's awesome. I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed the event. I would have enjoyed the opportunity to participate in both the Silverness and Emily Griffith sessions, as well as the other forums. I felt the whole event was a buffet and true to form. I wanted to go back for seconds for every dish for an opportunity to learn. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. No, you, you know, you did a, you did a fantastic job and really, you know, I think we built something pretty special and, you know, even though Co-Impact Day is wrapped up, you know, several years ago, we're still seeing, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that we see today is 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 a remnant of that, right? It, it's still oh, absolutely. There, there's still a waterfall that's happening. Um, we'd like it to fall faster, <laughs> more <laughs> of it, and faster. Um, but it's uh, it's a lot of that can be attributed back to, yeah, just um, opening people's hearts and minds to other possibilities. Uh, yeah. Back in- there's that beautiful, that, that fun little video of how to build it, build a movement in five minutes or less and the dancing mm-hmm. guy video and how you have a lone nut and then you create first followers around a lone nut. So yeah. I just publicly want to thank you for being one of the lone nuts and just showing up um, uh, the way you have throughout this whole um, time period. And I, I think the, um, you know, the, the lane that we took was we need to just activate more investors. And I think Mark Newhouse, who you collaborate with, um, has teased me or not teased me, but he said, Stephanie, do you realize like it took a lot to activate me? Like I was, a, I was a hard nut to crack, but I've gone on to be, I'm cracked open and I, it's a long tail. And so we think of ourselves as kind of an investor accelerator of like, let's activate that investor. And then we kind of pass them on to impact charitable with you. I think um, most people are probably, I mean, during, when the pandemic hit, we Royal, we just like we for how Boulder impact days mm-hmm. rolled up our sleeves and raised 28 million, just like that. Two weeks. I don't think any other state did that. Yeah. 18 million for cares act PPP, just like that. The power of activating the resources, building the trust in the networks. And uh, it's, it's fun. Cause uh, Santos at, at uh, Gary community ventures has said, when's the next one we're ready. And so yeah. I'm like, I'm going to get a sponsorship packet together. And, and uh, I'm like, we will do the next one. If we can, if we can fundraise ahead of time, the cost and, and doing it. Um, But it's that infrastructure, Rich is so critical. The role that, that you're playing in that space. Yeah. And Uh, I think it it talks, you know, it speaks to the long tail of the work, this work and any kind of movement building is it takes a long time. You know, you see Mark's a really good example um, who, you know, admitted that it took a long time for him to crack. And not only has Mark 
put his own money to work, but Mark has himself have, have moved other investors um, and brought in different investment opportunities, pay for, you know, he's helped create a pay for performance uh, fund for some nonprofits here locally. So that just the ripple effect there. And, and then, you know, you, you, you multiply that over hundreds and hundreds of people, whether they were, you know, just individuals or private foundations, you know, it's still a long game, but it, it, the, the, the impact continues. And I think it is, it's cascading. Uh, I think uh, I certainly get frustrated about the lack of speed at which this movement is moving. So it's, it's actually, this has actually been helpful to, to remind myself and we should remind ourselves that, you know, those seeds that we worked so hard to plant are paying dividends. They may not be uh, at, again, at the speed that we want, but they're, they're moving and they're working. I, we work, uh, we now, um, I feel like the state of Massachusetts and California have said, can we apply that infrastructure outside of Colorado? And, and actually our biggest supporters is the U S forest service. So the federal government, in the state of California. And, um, I can tell you working in these other geographies, rich, we are, if it's a marathon, we're at mile eight and the rest of our friends are at mile two and mile three. Um, so yes, we have a long way to go and we should be extremely impatient um, about how we get there. And it's, it's night. It, whenever I'm frustrated outside of Colorado, I come back home and I'm like, wow, it's pretty impressive what the flow is. And we're in need of another 2.0 infrastructure yeah. um, piece of forming those strategic alliances. Um, part of why Philly and, and Denver have done well is not only did we have Colorado Impact Days, um, um, Hub Boulder. We also had, we had an office for B-Labs, both of us. We had both investor circle chapters. Right. Um, we had the stacked infrastructure uh, play. And I, I, um, I think I'll just say this, we're actually, it's semi-public, but we're actually looking at um, launching the first independent trust company um, focused on impact investing. In part, we're doing that to basically launch a corporate foundation so we can fund all of the work we're collectively doing mm -hmm. um, because this is hard dollars to get. And it's, it's a difficult, um, it's a difficult, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way too. If somebody could give directly to um, somebody on the ground that needs the money directly in food, shelter, clothing, and housing versus saying, oh, invest in an organization that's going to support a systemic change in those things. Yeah. And it, it's tough to compete against those dollars. And so increasingly for me, my philosophy is like, okay, we in the movement are smart enough to grow some of our own money. So let's let's collectively create a couple of social enterprises ourselves to create profit. Right. So with that, with that said, what excites you right now? What are you looking around the corner about um, in terms of you're like, this This could be the next exciting thing, chapter ahead of you? Uh, well, for me, I'm really enjoying the work at, at Impact Charitable. And I think, um, I think we have an opportunity to help primarily through establishing nonprofit investment fund vehicles at impact charitable right because we all know that the impact capital market is inherently efficient and, and affordable housing is a really good example and we're excited that we're going to get ready to launch kind of our own uh, 
non or, or affordable housing nonprofit uh, investment slash loan fund. But affordable housing is a very good example insofar as affordable housing projects are often done by small developers and dispersed throughout communities, and they need the appropriately cost uh, and structured capital to make that make that happen. And they have a hard time finding that capital. Uh, and then you've got increasingly, you've got individuals and, and private foundations who are interested in supporting affordable housing, but the search cost, even if just the search cost, let alone the transaction cost, because many of these foundations consider don't have the you know kind of capacity to, to actually do the transaction, but just the search cost alone is so high, the friction so high that a lot of these deals don't get done. There's a lot of housing inventory that never gets developed because of this inability to match supply and demand. And you know, we've been successful, as have some other organizations around the country, of helping kind of match or uh, a donor or a small group of donors to a particular project or venture. But that pipe's just not big enough to move a, a, as much capital as we need fast enough to really start making change. And so by creating nonprofit investment funds, thematic funds, we can help reduce that friction between supply and demand of capital. And as I say on the supply side, what I mean by that is that the, the kind of get more ca impact capital, philanthropic impact first capital off the sidelines and into unique ventures. I think we can open the aperture of that uh, by creating these funds and making things like affordable housing, other types of infrastructure more accessible for impact oriented adventures. Um, because we'll house the fund, we'll do the transaction, you know, we'll be the LP in, a, in an investment fund, but we'll be able to do that by, you know, kind of, uh, you know, consolidating 50 disparate individuals, small private foundations, uh, and, and, and uh, pulling that capital together. And so excited about what we can do there, because you and I, we've been on some of the same calls around here in the local Colorado community, and whether it's, um, you know, providing appropriate financing to help small businesses convert to employee ownership or uh, cooperative uh, work models. A lot of these things that we know can really make the change that we want to see re require flexible, appropriately costed capital, which often isn't market rate. And yet, again, kind of matching the, the demand and and and. Sources, uh, sources of capital, the supply and the demand where it could be really is hard because the markets are inefficient. So I'm, I'm hopeful that Impact Charitable, we can play an increasing role in creating fund vehicles, investment vehicles that, yeah, that make it more efficient, uh, the capital markets more efficient and, you know, getting more capital to move. I think what's great, exciting, the work we've been doing with similar, um, what we, we call them even capital stewards versus asset owners. And so I appreciate that subtle language you used uh, midlife of like hey, responsibility and stewardship. And like, do we own the money or are we stewards of the money? And uh, some of the, basically the, the mindset shift or we're just flipping the script um, for some of a lot of the training we're doing, we're probably training $10 billion of capital right now. And that doesn't include our corporate learning circle. We're getting ready to launch with companies like BF and JR Simplot and Capital One. 
And what we're trying to do is say, you know what, let's think about this like a, a pantry. And right now, if you're a nonprofit or affordable housing project, you have really three tools. You have grants, loans, and equities. You also have guarantees. But there's literally, you're trying to make a gourmet meal out of four tools. And so that's where we're like, what about this full spectrum of capital? Why don't we have negative 100%, 99, and 98, 97? And the piece, I know it's subtle for people to catch this, but if you go to a non uh, low income housing credit, non LIHTC um, affordable housing transaction, say in Denver Metro, which is one of the worst, um, most or fastest growing in affordable housing markets in the country, um, what are what we're doing increasingly is saying, okay, let's let's figure out what rate of subordinated debt we need to have in order. To, uh, to lead to not only affordable housing, but a pathway where there's partial equity, where there's um, community wealth building and, and our household wealth building along that way. And I'm okay if that number's 7%, 0%, negative 10%. And what's interesting is when people hear negative 10%, they immediately think, oh, that's below market rate. But not really. A, a typical individual or foundation has two to three or a corporation, four or five or six buckets of capital. And so if you think about it, you can I can still take uh, 50 bucks I want a 10% return on and 50 bucks I would donate at negative 100%. That gives me $100. And if I have the combined interest rate of that, that's negative 100 minus 10 is negative 90 divided by two, negative 45% capital. And so, and I still get an above market rate return on the money I was going to invest. I can take that money out of the stock market, which I was hoping for six to eight, get 10. And so I think the hope I have, and I know it's complex, but it's like, it's blended finance internal to the investor, internal to the donor advised fund or the individual, right. which it sounds like that's the pathway you were already on at the beginning. Yeah. The average individual and foundation doesn't take all their money and combine and look at the combined financial return, including their donations. Right. And if you do that, it's a, oftentimes a negative number. Yep. yep. And and so if we can like let go of that normative term and language and just say, okay, these are buckets with different objectives. Let's mix and match them together. I, I'm I, uh, I'm super hopeful we can get we can crack that next nut. Yeah. Well, that's that's the work to be done for sure. That is the work to be done. Uh, thank you for spending time with us today. I hope it's I hope it's the first of many conversations, and I'm just uh, I'm full of gratitude for uh, you being uh, again for you being in my life personally and professionally. Thank you for all you do, and thank you for your friendship. And yeah, and I'm well, excited about yeah. our next chapter. What were you going to say? Yes, you know, it's just it's been a it's been a fun journey, uh, and it's been uh, as they say, it's been good to be uh, in the boat uh, with you along the way. And so thanks for the opportunity to come on the, come on the podcast. Yeah. And uh, here's to kind of alignment. You know, I often think of uh, when I'm having the most fun, I'm talking about love, light, and money in the same conversation. Mm. So I, I appreciate awesome. um, being in that conversation with you. Yeah. Thank you. Rich. Thanks. Steph.